Hello Magical Muggles, I'm River. And I'm Zachariah. And welcome to the first ever episode of Potterwatch. Yay! To start off this episode, we'll be telling you guys a bit about ourselves. We're both Hufflepuffs and we are both big fans of Harry Potter. My favourite book is The Goblet of Fire because of the dragons. And fun fact, dragons are my favourite mythical animal. And my favourite movie is The Deathly Hallows Part 2. What's your favourite movie, so? I would say that my favourite movie is also The Deathly Hallows Part 2, and my favourite book has to be between The Order of the Phoenix and The Deathly Hallows. My favourite character is either Hermione Granger or Bellatrix the Strange. What about you? My favourite character is Horace Slughorn. What about all you listeners? What is your favourite character by your voice message and anchor? Let's move on to our first ever segment called Underrated Characters. I'll start off with an underrated character who, in my opinion, is not very big. It's Neville Longbottom. I agree with you. I definitely think that Neville is an underrated character. Especially since in the movie they hardly ever showed much of Neville in the first few years. You're absolutely right. In the first movie, he only gets like 3 minutes and 15 seconds of screen time. And overall, only has 28 minutes and 15 seconds. Like... That's not much. Like, really, if you think about it, that's hardly showing its character at all. I know, right? What other underrated characters do you think there are? There are just so many of them. But please let us know for next time. Yeah. Let's go on to our next part now. We're going to read a chapter every podcast and then talk about it. This week we're obviously going to read the first two chapters the first chapter of the Philosopher's Stone. So sit back and relax and follow along with us if you want. The bo- chapter one, The Boy Who Lived. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold of such nonsense. Mr. Darcy was the director of a firm called Grunnings, which made drills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck, although he did have a very large moustache. Mrs. Darcy was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in ver- very useful as she spent most of her time craning over garden fences, spying on the neighbours. The Darcy had a small son called Dudley, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that someone would discover it. They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found out about the Potters. Mrs. Potter was Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister, because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undursleyous as possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think what the neighbours would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son too, but they had never seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping the Potters away. They didn't want Dudley mixing with a child like that. When Mr and Mrs Dursley woke up on the dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. There was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest the strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring type of work, 
and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled the screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large tawny owl flutter past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek, and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye, but missed, because Dudley was now having a little tantrum and throwing his cereal at the walls. Little tyke, chortled Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and backed out of Number Four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar, a cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realise what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look again. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of Privet Drive, but there wasn't a map in sight. Could he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of the light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that said Privet Drive. No, looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read maps or signs. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. As he drove towards town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drills he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, drills were driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in the usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people around. People in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in, in funny clothes. The get-ups he saw on young people. He supposed this was some new stupid fashion. He drummed his fingers on the steering wheel and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos standing quite close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was, wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. Traffic moved on, and a few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the Grunnings car park, his mind back on drills. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owl swooping past in broad daylight, but though people did down in the street did, they pointed and gazed open-mouthed as owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl, even at night time. Mr. Dursey, however, had a perfectly normal, owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people, he made several different important phone calls, and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime when he thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the baker's opposite. He'd forgotten all about the people in cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the baker's. He eyed them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This lot were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them clutching a large donut at a bag that he caught a few words of what they were saying the potters that's right that's what i heard yes their sons harry mr dursley stopped dead fear flooded him looked back at the whisperers as if he wanted to say something to them but thought the better of it he dashed back across the road hurried up to his office snapped at his secretary not to disturb him seized his telephone and had almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. 
He put the receiver back down and stroked his moustache, thinking, No, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people who were called Potter, who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. He'd never even seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got so upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her, if he'd had a sister like that. But all the same, those people in quotes. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that afternoon. And when he left the building for work at five o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was seconds. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realised that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset at being knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile, and he said in a squeaky voice that made passers-by stare, "Don't be sorry for my dear sir, for nothing can upset me today. Rejoice, for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day." And the old man hugged Mister Darcy around the middle and walked off. Mister Darcy stood rooted to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to a car and he set off home, hoping he was imagining things, which he had never hoped before, because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, then it didn't improve his mood. Was the tabby cat he'd spotted that morning? It was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. It had the same markings around its eyes. Shoo! said Mister Darcy loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behaviour? Mister Darcy wondered, trying to pull himself together. He let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Missus Darcy had a nice normal day. She told him over dinner all about Missus Next Door's problems. With her daughter, and how Dudley had learnt a new word, shan't. Mister Darcy tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report on the evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere had reported that the nation's owls had been behaving very unusually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and they are hardly ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sightings of these birds flying in every direction. Since sunrise, experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newsreader allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious. And now over to Jim McCuffin with the weather. Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted said the weatherman. I don't know about that. But it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly lately. Viewers as far as Kent, Yorkshire, and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of rain I promised them yesterday, they've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks, but I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Darcy sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain, owls flying by daylight, mysterious people in cloaks all over the place, and a whisper, a whisper about the Potters. Mrs. Darcy came into the living room. Carrying two cups of tea, it was no good. He'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Ah,、uh, Petunia dear, you haven't heard from the sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Darcy looked shocked and angry. 
After all, they normally pretend that she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Darcy mumbled. Owls, shooting stars, and there were a lot of funny-looking people in town today. So, snapped Mrs. Darcy. Well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with, you know, her lot. Mrs. Darcy sipped her tea through her pursed lips. Mr. Darcy wondered whether he dared tell her he had heard the same name, Potter. He decided he didn't dare. Instead, he said, as casually as he could, their son. He'd be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Darcy stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry, nasty common name if you ask me. Oh yes, said Mr. Darcy, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. He didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. While Mrs. Darcy was in the bathroom, Mr. Darcy crept to the bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. It was staring down Privet Drive as though it was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with the potters? If it did, if it got out, they were related to a pair of... Well, he couldn't think he'd bear it. The Darcy's got into bed. Mrs. Darcy fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Darcy lay awake, turning it all over in his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the potters were involved, there was no reason for them to come near him and Mrs. Darcy. The potters knew very well that what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. He could not see how Petunia could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned and turned over. It couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Darcy might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblinkingly on the far corner of Privet Drive. It didn't so much as quiver when a door slammed in the next street, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching, appeared so suddenly and silently, you'd have thought he'd just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man had ever seen in Privet Drive. He was tall, thin and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak, which swept the ground in high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright and sparkling behind half-moon spectacles, and his nose was very long and crooked, as though it had been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realise that he just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak, looking for something, but he, see, he did not seem to realise he was being watched because he looked up so suddenly at the cat, which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He chuckled and muttered, I should have known. He had found what he was looking for in his inside pocket. It seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter. He flicked it open, held it up in the air, and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a little pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. Twelve times he clicked the pitter outer, but until the only lights left in the entire street 
were two tiny pinpricks in the distance, which were the eyes of a cat watching him. If anyone looked out of their window now, even beady-eyed Mrs. Darcy, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening out on the pavement. Dumbledore slipped the putter router back inside his cloak and set off down the street towards number four, where he sat down on the wall next to the cat. He didn't look at it, but after a moment he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you here, Professor McGonagall. He turned to smile at the tabby, but he had gone. Instead, he was smiling at a rather severe-looking old woman, who was wearing square glasses exactly the shape of marking the cat had around its eyes. She, too, was wearing a cloak, an emerald one. Her black hair was drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was me? she asked. My dear Professor... I've never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if you'd been sitting on a brick wall all day, said Professor McGonagall. All day, when you could have been celebrating. I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here. Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. Oh, yes, everyone's celebrating all right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be a bit more careful. But no, even the muggles have noticed something going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the dirty, sparkling room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls, shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars down in Kent? I bet that was Delia Stiggle, who never had much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little to celebrate for seven years. I know that, said Professor McGonagall irritably. But care, there's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless out on the streets in broad daylight, not even dressed in muggles' clothes, swapping rumours. She threw a sharp, sideways glance at Dumbledore here, as though he hoping he was going to tell her something. But he didn't, so she went on. A fine thing it would be if on the day that Unifail seems to have disappeared at last, the muggles found out about us all. I suppose he really has gone, Dumbledore. It seems, certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We much, we have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a sherbet lemon? A what? A sherbet lemon. They're a kind of muggle sweet I'm rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think that this was the moment for sherbet lemons. And I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear Professor, surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you-know-who nonsense for eleven years. I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Bumbledore, who was unsticking two sharp lemons, seemed not to notice. It all gets so confusing if we keep saying you-know-who. I've never seen any reason to be frightened of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor McGonagall, sounding half exasperated, half admiring. But you know... You're different. Everyone knows you're the only one who you know who. Oh, all right. Voldemort was frightened of. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have. Only because you're, well, too noble to use them. Yes, lucky it's dark. I haven't blushed so much since Madame Pomfrey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, The owls are nothing to the rumours that are flying around. Do you know what everybody's saying about why he's disappeared? About what finally stopped him? 
it seemed that Professor McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss. The real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall all day. But neither as a cat nor a woman had she fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain that whatever everyone was saying, she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, was choosing another sherbet lemon and did not answer. What they're saying, she pressed on, is that last night Voldemort turned up in Quadrich Hollow. He went to find the Potters. The rumour is that Lily and James Potter are... are... that they're dead. Dumbledore bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James, I can't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to call, kill the Potter's son, Harry, but he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke, and that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded gumly. It's, it's true, faltered Professor McGonagall. After all he's done, all the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. It's astounding of all the things to stop him, but how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess. We may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands but no numbers. Instead, little planets were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore, though, because he put it back in his pocket and said, Hagrid's late. I suppose he was he, it was he who told you I'd be here, by the way. Yes, said Professor McGonagall. And I don't suppose you're going to tell me why you're here, of all places? I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he has left now. You can't, you don't mean, you can't mean the people who live here cried Professor McGonagall, jumping to her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got us this son. I saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here. It's the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter? repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in the future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. It will be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before you can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing away from all of that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, and then said, Yes, yes, you're right, of course. But how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak suddenly, as though she thought he might be hiding her. Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing him. 
Do you think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall grudgingly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky and a huge motorbike fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. If the motorbike was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed and so wild. Long tangles of bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had hands the size of dustbin lids and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast muscular arms he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last. And where did he get that motorbike? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorbike as he spoke. Young Sirius Black went at me. I've got him hit, sir. No problems, were there? No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep as we were flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cup like a bolt of lightning. Is that where, whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in useful. I have one above my left knee, which is a perfect map of the London Underground. Well, give him here, Hagrid. We've got to get this over with. Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned towards the Dursley's house. Could I, could I say goodbye to him, sir? Asked Hagrid. His be- he bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him what must have been a very scratchy, whiskery kiss. Then suddenly, Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog. Shh! Hissed Professor McGonagall. You'll wake the muggles. So, so sorry, sobbed Hagrid, taking out a large spotted handkerchief and burying his face in it. But I c- 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 can't stand it. Lily and James dead. And poor little Harry off to live with muggles? Yes, yes, it's all very sad. But get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, or we'll be found, Professor McGonagall whispered, patting Hagrid gingerly on the arm. As Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door, he laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took a letter out of his coat, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have come out, gone out. Well, said Dumbledore finally, that's that. We've no business staying here. We may as well go and enjoy the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I'd best get this bike away. Good night, Professor McGonagall, Professor Dumbledore, sir. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself onto the motorbike and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, 
said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner he stopped and took out the silver put outer. He clicked it once and twelve balls of light sped back to their street lamps for their private drive grew suddenly orange and he could make out a tabby cat slinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the next step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned his, on his hill with his, and with a slush of his cloak he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of the cabbage drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sky. The very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him, and he slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his cousin Dudley. He couldn't know that at this very moment, people meeting in all, all secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices, To Harry Potter, the boy who lived. Well, that's all we'll be reading today. Let's talk a bit about this now. Sure, and feel free to tell us if you have any other points about those two chapters. Just to recap for all you first-time readers out there, Dumbledore has come to number four private drive where the Dursleys live. The Dursleys are non-magical people and hate magic. That, that night when Dumbledore went to private drive, he met Professor McGonagall, who can transform into a cat. Then a gigantic man named Hagrid comes with a baby named Harry Potter. Dumbledore leaves Harry on the Dursley's doorstep, where Harry lives uncomfortably for 11 years. Come back next week for Chapter 2. Now let's go over some small details in a segment we'd like to call Golden Nuggets. Exactly. We'll do this after every bit we read, and we'd love it if you guys also told us some small golden nuggets. So let's talk a bit about that. James and Lily Potter were Harry's parents, but were killed, leaving Harry as an orphan. And that's pretty much all we hear about the book. However, there are some small pieces of information that many people don't realise. For example, when Hagrid says in Chapter 1, Young Sirius Black lent at me. Well, that's all we'll be reading today. Let's talk a bit about this now. Sure, and feel free to tell us if you have any other points about those two chapters. Just to that recap chapter. for all you first-time readers out there, Dumbledore has come to number four Privet Drive, where the Dursies live. The Dursies are non-magical people and hate magic. That night, when Dumbledore went to Privet Drive, he met Professor McGonagall, who can transform into a cat. Then a gigantic man named Hagrid comes with a baby named Harry Potter. Dumbledore leaves Harry on the Dursley's doorstep while Harry lives uncomfortably for 11 years. Come back next week for Chapter 2. Now let's go over some small details in a segment we like to call Golden Nuggets. Exactly. We'll do this after every bit we read and we'd love it if you guys told us some small Golden Nuggets. So let's talk about a bit about that. James and Lily Potter were Harry's parents but were killed, leaving Harry as an orphan. And that is pretty much all we learn about that chapter. However, there are some small pieces of information that many people don't realise. For example, when Hagrid says in Chapter 1, 
young Sirius Black lent it to me. It's the only real mention of Sirius Black or any of the Marauders until book three. Another thing that many people don't remember is that Aunt Petunia was actually blonde and so was Dudley. Yeah, we also don't see that scene where Professor McGonagall sees how stuck up Dudley is and he throws a tantrum because he can't get sweets. You're right. We were robbed of the chance to see a small peek of the Dudley as a selfish kid. Now those are some good golden nuggets. Be sure to tell us yours and anchor. Now it's time for a quick break. And we're back. Now let's talk about the latest Harry Potter news in something we like to call Daily Profit. What's the news this week, Zachariah? Well, this week at the Funko Pop Fair, Dumbledore and Snape's Patronuses have been released as Funko Pop figures. Dumbledore's Patronus is a phoenix, as his trusty sidekick Forks. Snape's one has been released as a doe, and it is the same as Lily Potter's Patronus. Thank you for that, Zachariah. Now it's time for another story. This is quite a big one. So, Johnny Depp has been replaced by Mads Mikkelsen in the new Crimes of Grindelwald movie as Grindelwald, which is a very big thing because it's in the middle of a franchise movie and they've just changed the main character. So, yeah. Our next part is called Legilimens, which is... In this segment, each person will choose a character and describe it and then the other person will try and guess who it is. We each have three clues and five guesses to get each. Have you got your clues ready? Yep. Okay, you go first. Okay, um, right. I am a very proud person. Yeah? I feel like it's Buckbeak. No, it's not Buckbeak. So you've had one guess and you had one clue. Okay. I was born on the 26th of January, 1964. That's not very helpful, Who's supposed to know the birthdays? Alright, let me do my next clue then. Did you just search that up on the internet? Well, that's how I got my clue. That's, That's the only clue I got from the internet. I taught Defense Against the okay. Dark Arts, and I do a lot of book signings. You do a lot, Carl? Yeah. Yay, second guess. Okay, yeah. my turn then. Okay, let's see. Okay, I can walk, but not alone. You can walk, but okay. not alone. Yeah, yeah, okay, next one. I can see the light of eyes. You can see the light. The whites, the... as in, you know, what egg whites. Yeah. Of eyes. I always drink from a flask. Are you Professor Trelawney? Nope. This one's very hard. You can give up if you want. That means I just ruined this round. Okay, so what, what, what was it again? What the clues again? Okay, just for all of you guys out there. I can walk, but not alone. I can see the whites of eyes, and I always drink from a flask. Mm. Silence. Do you give up? No, I'm still trying to think. I don't believe him, guys. I think he gives up. No, 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 no. Come on, I'm trying to think, okay? Um, Come on, no one will make fun of you if you just give up. You will? Out. Okay, fine, but no one else. Mm. Oh, 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 um, Mad-Eye Moody. Oh my god. Oh, yes. Mm. Think I win that round because I got way quicker than no, you. No, okay. it's not about quickness. Um, about really? Yeah, because it's not you about had... quickness. Really? Okay, okay, I'll start the next round then. Okay. I have a son. I'm married. And I look like I smelt something bad. What? Okay. I have a son. I'm married. 
and I look like I smelt something bad. Cornelius Flinch? Flinch? Cornelius Flinch? Who's Cornelius Flinch? Oh, wait. I'm going to take you off. I'm going to take two guesses off that because you got his name wrong. Isn't that his name? It's Cornelius Fudge. Fudge? Oh, Fudge. That was... But that's not even the answer. Oh, okay, fine. That's one guess, by the way. <laughs> two fudge. because you got the that's, name wrong. One guess. I said Fudge, I don't know why. Cornelius Fudge doesn't even have a son. Yeah, he he's does. not even married. He's not even married. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic. I thought he had a son. Okay, well, everybody, why don't you let us know if you think that Cornelius Fudge has a son and whether he's married okay, or so not. Okay, so who has a I'm telling you, no, I'm winning Someone this one. has a son and someone is married. I have a son, I'm married, and I look like I smelt something bad. That's not really a clue. Oh my god, yes it is. No, come on, that's nothing. It's totally that is a not a clue. Okay, just start guessing. Um, okay. Trying to think. Who has a son? Uh awkward silence, awkward silence, awkward silence. Oh shit. Uh I'm trying to think who has a son in Harry Potter. Do you give up? Yeah, go on. It's Narcissa Malfoy. Narcissa Malfoy doesn't look like she smelt something bad. Well that's what they Harry and Wombo said in the Goblet of Fire when Draco Malfoy is like, oh, look, your dad's on the front cover, Ron um, Weasley. He, he look, his, your house looks like a shed. And then uh, Harry goes, at least your mum, at least his mum loves you. Your mum looks like she smelt something bad. Read the book again. Maybe you'll okay. understand. Okay. Your turn, your turn. All right, okay, wait, hold on. I'm thinking of a character way more like obscure now. Because you already had two characters. you got to go by those two characters, okay? No, no, no. I'm changing mine. Oh, my God. Cheetah. Okay. I was buried in the sand. Dobby! No. Really? Yeah. Who else is buried in the sand? Okay, no okay, one. <laughs> I gotta think of better clues. Yeah, you really do. Wait, was it Dobby? Yeah, it was Dobby. Yay! Thank you, everyone who has listened to our first ever podcast. Yay! Be sure to let us know about any segments or new ideas you would like us to do for next time. Until then, keep on listening and reading. And don't forget to say, Mischief Managed.